Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. If I said to y'all for the last year, faithfully, I've been going to the gym. I've been hitting it hard. Two, three hours a day. You know what I'm saying? Woo! I mean, y'all be like, what are you doing at the gym? Where's the evidence, right? Which I'm about to start going. So, you know, I hope there'll be some evidence soon. But if that were the case, right? If I start going today, every day, five days a week, working it out, six months, it should be like, hey, it's a little less of you. You know what I'm saying? It, it, there should be evidence that that's what's happening. So it's no different, spiritually speaking. Where's the evidence? Does your walk and talk show evidence of the life surrendered to Jesus? Can people see Jesus in you? Today, Pastor Bill notes that there are many people who think they are saved, but don't show any evidence. What a catastrophe when someone thinks that they are going to heaven, but they're really going to hell. Saved folk don't intend to sin, but if they do, they quickly seek forgiveness. Let's remember God saves us from the inside out so that we can burn bright for Christ. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Titus chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. At the cross, everybody's kind of equal, right? As we all come to the cross, we all come as sinners. We all come needing forgiveness. We all come needing salvation. We have to all be humbled. And nobody gets to walk away from the cross better than the guy next to him or the girl next to him. We all walk away just blessed. God, thank you for what you did for us. We're all the same. And as we go back out to the world of sinners, right, they all need what we just got. So they need the very same thing that we just have received from the Lord. So, again, he reminds them of what they were. But when the kindness and the love of our, our God, of God, our Savior, appeared towards men, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but what? But according to his mercy, according to mercy, his mercy, he saved us. Mercy is a beautiful thing. The simple definition of mercy is not getting what you deserve. What is every Christian? Everybody here, what do we deserve? Death and hell, right? We earned it. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We all earned death, but God's mercy. None of us are going to die. For the believer, we're going to die, you know, physical death. But, but for the believer, death is how we get to heaven. So death is not a bummer for the Christian. I, I was at a funeral Friday for my aunt. That's a, she died at 104 which is that's a good long life. And she was right up until the end. She had all her wit. She could still talk smack. You know, she could still, you know, clown jokes. She was, you know, that, that she had it all, all the way to the end. The big deal for me with her was when I think she was right before her 100th birthday. I, would go, I, got, I got to go visit and talk to her. And I asked her, you know, I wanted to talk to her. I know she went to church and everything else. But I asked her, are you really saved? Because you're really close. To, you know, I got a hundred. I mean, you don't get much closer than now. I was I'm blown away that she got four more years after that. And this is amazing because she had gone, been in church for many, many years. But she acknowledged that all those years of traditional church she was in, that she wasn't really saved. But that she had really come into a real walk with the Lord since she had been in the nursing care. And was in her word, someone bringing her daily bread. And one of the nurses was a believer and someone had sown into her life. And she said, now I know. Now I'm sure. I can't say I was sure all those other years, but right now I know I'm sure. And I, I hear from the Lord. I, I pray and I read every day. And she did that up until she couldn't do it anymore. And I just think, wow, that blows me away because there was a lot of years of church involvement and attendance with no transformation. Which, which is why I'm so anti-traditional church. I don't want to do stuff just because everybody do stuff. 
I believe God wants to transform lives. He wants to bring us from death to light. He wants to change us from the inside out. And the work that God does is real and it's visible over time. That you look at a person that got saved and they, they get going about a year walking. You walk with the Lord for a year. That year ought to be the most different year of your whole life. Because a year before that, when you weren't saved, you were living however you live unsaved. It should be so different what God does in our lives. So I always caution people that say, I've been saved my whole life. Mm. I don't know if that's possible. You know, like, did you come out saved? Did you, you know, you could be, some kids grow up in the Lord. And so from their earliest memory, they remember, I've, I've always walked. I've come into a fuller understanding, but I've, I've always walked with the Lord. But I'm more cautious about the people that they lived a whole season of life in rebellion, but they thought they were still saved. How you feel you were saved? How you live 10 years in habitual sexual sin, drugs, and alcohol, and claim you were saved? By what standard? By what measure? Right? Then the Bible says no drunkard, no, no sexually immoral, you can't inherit the kingdom living like that habitually. So if you got saved at some point, that means you repented. That means you made a U-turn and came to Christ. But if you kept going that way, you, didn't, you, you think you took Christ with you? Didn't happen. Might be not saved. Um, and so I always, I mean, there should be, and I use this analogy because y'all understand it, it works. If I said to y'all for the last year, faithfully, I've been going to the gym. I've been hitting it hard. Two, three hours a day. You know what I'm saying? Woo! I mean, y'all be like, what are you doing at the gym? Where's the evidence, right? Which I'm about to start going. So, you know, I hope there'll be some evidence soon. But if that were the case, right? If I start going today, every day, five days a week, working it out, Six months, it should be like, hey, it's a little less of you. You know what I'm saying? There should be evidence that that's what's happening. So it's no different spiritually speaking. If somebody get a life to Christ and they say, now my life belongs to God. Now I'm submitted to Christ. Now instead of doing what I want, I do what God wants. Well, you ought to be able to back up and say, God's hand is upon that life. It is transforming and it's transforming. And so we should look for that in our lives as believers and not accept an alternative because it might be, I believe that many people, one, I think it's one of the Satan's tricks. I think there are many people that think they're saved, but they're not. And I've talked to people. I mean, I've talked to people outside of 7-Eleven that just came from getting beers and blunt wrappers on their way to go get faded. And I'm like, they're like, oh yeah, man, everything you're saying, bro, I believe it. I'm like, okay, can I ask a question? Then why are you doing what you're doing right now? Oh, you know I mean? God just, you know, we know why he's perfect and yeah, yeah. This is how you live habitually. When did you come to know the Lord? Because that means you know all the stuff. But then when did you repent of your sins? Like it didn't look like you repented yet. Like that's, you know, that's part of the package. Nobody here gets married, right? Maybe before you got married, most of us that are married, before you got married, maybe you had seen some other people. Maybe the person you were married with had seen some other people. But now that y'all are married, they ain't still seeing other people. Or we'd be having some problems. You know, like that's no longer okay. Now you with me. And whatever you used to do, you better not ever do again for both of y'all. And so when I see somebody say, yeah, I'm with Christ now. Now you with her. You with 40 ounce. You with blunt. You with, you're not with Jesus right now. There, that shouldn't be the case. Um, but there are people out there believe, no, one day I, I went down the church. I, I, you know, I prayed the prayer and I, I went for it when I was a little kid. I got baptized and they trust in works. That's why he says here, not of works, which you have done. It's not how you get saved. My works are not the, they're not how I know I'm saved because now my works. Uh, I'm saved because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Put my faith in it. 
Now, the result of believing that is a transformed life. And so the evidence for salvation is a transformed life. But they're not works. The works don't save you. The works are just evidence of a life that's been transformed because now this person does things different than they did before. So one more time, verse five, not of not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so the process of salvation, God washes us. Um, the blood of Christ, the Bible teaches, washes away our sins. Regeneration. Um, what does that mean? That means I'm no longer the same person. I, I, I've been born again. Regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. God puts in every believer the Holy Spirit. Come to live inside every, every believer. Um, one of the, the verses that's, that's um, I think it's, it's just important for every person that would give their life to Christ. We know that when we come to Christ, we become a, a new creation. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, many people know it. Be a good verse to to lock in memory or highlight in your Bible, but it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's been a metamorphosis that takes place. And if you ever watch a butterfly, the transformation that happens between a caterpillar and a butterfly is remarkable because most of you don't look at a caterpillar and think it's cute, do you? Caterpillar is like a little worm. He scrunches back and forth. You know, it's, it's caterpillar. But it undergoes the most amazing metamorphosis because it goes into its little cocoon and it, it grows the feathers and all the things that are beautiful. And then when it comes out as a butterfly, when you look at it, it two, two things. It, it used to look one way and it used to get around one way. It was a completely different thing. Now it doesn't crawl, it flies. Now it's not a worm, it's a butterfly. It's got wings. I mean, it is a different thing. God says, that's what we're supposed to be like. You're, you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My old life doesn't, doesn't hang in front of me anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to be burdened by what I used to be. I'm not going to be made to feel bad about my old life. That's just what I was. I don't lie about it. I don't hide it. I don't, I don't, de I don't defend it. That's just what I was. But now in Christ, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. I got a new, I got brand new opportunity to walk with Jesus for the first time in my life. I am a new creation. That should liberate some people. Some people live even as Christians. They remember what they used to be. Oh, I feel so bad about. And I, I did that to myself for a while because I used to sell drugs. And when you sell drugs and you get free and you look back at your friends and people that you gave drugs to, there are people that I remember giving their first sack of weed to. You look back and like, man, I feel bad about I feel bad about the people that I, I encouraged to drink. But they didn't used to drink when they first met me. But I was the one clowning them like, you know, making fun of them for not doing it. And then they started doing it. Now they're still addicted to it. I feel bad about that. I feel bad about the people that I gave weed to, sold weed to, and, and now I'm off and I'm all clean and my life is together. And I look back at them and they're still battling and they're still struggling. They've, they've been going further into that sin. It does feel bad. And I used to beat myself up with it. But God, for me, said, you, you can either beat yourself up about what you did, which is not really, uh, doesn't really produce good fruit. You just feel bad. Or you can look at how hard you went for the devil and you can come over here and go hard for me. And that would be a better way to focus your energy and your time now as a Christian. Rather than being over here moping about what you did that you can't go undo, get over here and get busy for me. And that's been a better focus for me. But I used to beat myself up over that. And there have been times over my walk with the Lord where I've had people take some of my past and throw it in my face. And it'll feel good because it's true. What they're saying is true. But I got to know this. I know I did that. You're right. But now I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I won't be bound 
to bad feelings about what I was. I'm glad that God gives me a new lease. And so some of you, maybe you're here and you say, man, I've been I've been held up by what I used to be. I pray God will set you free today that you would know that in his eyes, you're a brand new creation. That's what it when it comes down to. God doesn't see me like even I see me. God sees a finished product in me. Every Christian here. God doesn't see what we are. He sees what we will be. He has vision to see what we're going to be completely clean, completely holy, completely. That's how come he can love us. Because some of y'all are like, man, I don't know how God can love me. I keep messing up. You know, I didn't, and God just keeps loving me and he just keeps forgiving me. And does it ever run out? Does God ever just say, that's it. I don't love you no more. Right? But just to make sure, for those of us that think like that, God said, I don't love like y'all love. Right? What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. That, that, that should just, we should just be, we should just feel so good about that. God said, nothing can separate you from my, the kind of love I love you with. It's an amazing kind of, nothing can undo it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not your bad behavior, not difficulties. The devil can't separate. Nothing can separate you from my love. And so it just puts the believer in a really secure relationship with the Lord. That it's not based on, it's not like I'm holding on to God. God's like, no, I'm holding on to you. I love you. Right? He initiated the whole thing. He says, you didn't choose me, but what? But I chose you. I picked you. And most of us, when you think about where you were when God picked you, you were right there, that thing you feel bad about. God said, I picked you when you were doing that. I knew. I still, I was good with it. God gave a beautiful analogy in the book of Hosea. He told the prophet Hosea to do something that nobody would really do. He said, Hosea, I want you to go and get a wife. But I want you to pick a wife from a particular place. I want you to go out on the Broadway. He didn't tell her to go on the Broadway. He said, I want you to go marry a harlot. Now, when I'm counseling guys about where to find a wife at, <laughs> that's, just, that's never been a recommendation that I was given. But God told Hosea, I want you to go marry a harlot. And he went out there and he found this harlot with a beautiful name, Gomer. And he, he brought her, he obeyed God and he married her. Um, you don't see no little girls in our Sunday school named Gomer. Uh, and you won't, I don't think. So he went and married Gomer and he married a harlot. And then they, they got married and they, had, they started having kids. And then when you look at the names of the kids, you realize that by child number two, she was cheating. Child number two was the name of the kid was I'm not sure it's mine. Child number three, that's I mean, you go look it up. That's exactly what it means. Child number three, it was the name was I know it's not mine. And so that's unfaithfulness in the marriage. And then it says that she left him and went back to her harlotry. She, she said, I'm done with you. I'm going to be back out there doing what I was doing. And then God said this. He tells Hosea. Now, I would think if you if a man came counseling, he said, man, I married this girl and then she had one kid for me and then she had another kid that it might have been his. And this third kid, I know for a fact is theirs. And then she went back and now she's out on the Broadway doing that again. I would say, well, man, maybe you just need to start all over again. Maybe it's not work out for you. God told Hosea, interest, he said, I want you to go again. Go again and love a woman that's being loved by a lover. That was the, the phrase. And he says, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. God said, look, I want you to go again. Go get her. While she's cheating against, she's cheating right now. Go get her and take her back. And God says, that's how I love you. And so when you meditate on that, God said, when I picked you, there was nothing really choice about you when I picked you. For y'all that think you was all that, God said, there was nothing real fancy about you when I picked you. After I got you, how many of us have been unfaithful to the Lord since we've been saved? And then, I mean, if you read the story of Hosea, he had to buy her. He had to go out there and, and buy his own wife back. God said, that's what I did for you, right? I paid the price to get you. You weren't even that great. Because of the love that I love you with, it was worth it to me. 
to have you. And then what God tells Hosea, he says, now we're going to start this new relationship after he buys her back. He said, now we're going to be in covenant. You're going to be faithful to me and I'm going to work in your life and I'm going to do things in your life and God establish a new relationship. That's what God's done for us. So when I when I re, when I remember the kind of way the way that God loves me, it should just bring me to a place of. So the question is never going to be God's love for me. We should just be secure as possible in that regard. God loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And he loves me with a kind of love that nobody else loves me with. It's amazing the love God loves me with. And there's nothing I could do to mess it up. There's nothing I could do to earn it to begin with. He loves me, period. Now, the rest of my life, what I get to do is respond to that love. That's why it's so offensive when people reject the gospel. Because God said, look, look at how I love you. Look at what I've done for you. I love you so much I died in your place. I took your, your crimes against God. I, I took them upon my shoulders. I paid in full form and I offered you forgiveness for free if you would come to me. You would receive me as Lord. So when a person says, nah, I don't receive you as Lord because, because what? I mean, I know you love me. I know you did all that stuff for me, but I don't receive it because I want to go in and do whatever I'm doing. God says, well, then there ain't no other way for you. There's no there. That, that's how come they go to hell. That's how come people will go to hell. God says, look, I've done all that could be done to save you. But the one thing God won't do is take away your free will. God won't make you choose him back. He wants it to be because, because it's not a love relationship if somebody makes you choose. Right. When I wanted to marry my wife, um, if I put a gun to her head and said, will you marry me? <laughs> and start twitching like this, you know what I'm saying? And she said, yes, I will marry. I mean, that's not a love relationship. That's a, you know, you're going to blow my brains out if I don't. That wouldn't be a, a, a sweet relationship. It, what it is is when you say, look, I, I, I'll choose you over all the other women in the rest of the world for the rest of my life to be with you. And so I bought you this little bitty diamond as proof that I mean everything I'm saying. Now, if she says, I feel the same way, yes, I do, then now we both have chosen each other. We had other options. There were other places you could have been, but we said above all the other options, I choose you, you choose me. That's what makes a marriage a beautiful thing. Two people that have decided, have chosen to love one another. God says, I love you, no doubt. And the question is, do we, do we respond to his love correctly? What's the correct way to respond to the love of God? Just to submit. Just say, yes, Lord, thank you for loving me. You have my life. It's yours. And that's where we come to next. The goal of salvation. This is what we were when we weren't saved. This is what God did to save us. Now what? Verse six. It says, whom he poured out, speaking about the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so, again, he poured out the Holy Spirit abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We we've been justified. And you guys know what does that word justified means? It means just as if I never sinned. God makes me just. It's like going to court guilty, standing before the judge and being told that, you know, now I've been justified. It's just like I never did it. But I did do it. I did speed. I did break the law. I did break the rule. I did break the law. But I get to walk away like I never did it. Justification. That's a, that's a work that God does in the heart of every believer. God justifies you. It's him causing me to be what I'm not in reality, but I get to walk in his justification. It's a work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. Something else for which we should be very thankful. By his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's another thing. We are heirs with Christ. Now, if you're, you know, you may have parents that didn't have much and when they die, they didn't leave much. Some people, parents die and they leave you stuff to pay for when they die. Uh, it's like <laughs> they didn't have anything taken care of. But sometimes people have rich parents. And they die. You're, if you're the heir, all that they had is left to you. God says, hey, I, you, you get to be heir 
with me. Of everything now, what doesn't God have? Everything belongs to him. So you get to be heirs with me. Everything, all my, all, all that I have. That's why heaven is something to be hopeless. It's something to be looked forward to for the believer. God says, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the hearts of man. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. God said, man, the things you've never seen, you've never heard, you've never dreamed it in your wildest imagination. What I've set aside and prepared for the people that love me. You're going to be an heir of wonderful things. Yes, of life. Yes, of heaven. Yes, of pre- being in my presence. Yes, of all the glories of, of heaven. And we don't even know what what's heaven's going to be like. Because the one person that got a glimpse, the Apostle Paul, when he got back, Paul said, the things I saw. Who? He said, it would be a crime for me to put it into human words, what I saw. I'm not even going to speak on it. That's why I'm pretty skeptical about all these people talking about they died and went to heaven and come back and write a book and sell it to you. Paul said, I saw it. It's in the Bible, so I know he did. He said, what I saw, human words would not do it justice. I'm going to just be quiet. But when I look at how we live, I know he was looking forward to going. Right. Romans 818. Paul been beaten, abused. He says, man, for the sufferings, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul, I got a vision of heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I don't care. You, th- there was nothing people on earth could do to stop him. They beat him, stone him, jail him, threaten him. And Paul said, man, for me to live is Christ and what? Die is gain. I consider death a victory. Well, how do you stop a guy that says, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. And if you kill me, that's a benefit to me, too. So what? You tell me to stop preaching? Get a, you know, you just can't stop a guy like that, that. That feels like death is a victory. I can't wait to die. At one point, Paul said, man, I can't. I'm like, I don't know if it's better. I want to die and go be with the Lord. But then I need to be here to help y'all get there, too. And so he said, I'm just torn. You know, he was torn on earth. Like, man, I, I see the, the validity of my ministry on earth to help people come to Christ. And he said, man, I had a glimpse. And, and I can't wait to be there. And he said, I'm torn now. I, I, I'm looking forward to going, but I'm going to go ahead and finish out strong. And he did. He finished out strong, everything God gave him to do. But when I look at a man that had a glimpse of it, how he lived, it speaks to me. That, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse eight now. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. And so result of salvation Paul's telling Titus, I want you to affirm these. This is a faithful saying, and I want you to affirm these things constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for men. Everybody here saves those who have believed in God. It says they should be careful to maintain good works. And I say this, but I'm going to say it now. God have never called any Christian to get saved and then be content to be saved for the rest of their existence as a Christian. Everybody's called to do something. Every Christian has something to offer, something to do, some spiritual gift, some ability. You have something to offer, whatever it may be. God said, I, 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 it's, it's a faithful saying. I want you to affirm it. I want you to tell people constantly, get busy, find something you can do for the Lord. Find you something that you're doing for God. There's so much to do. You can pray. You can study. You can teach. You can serve. You can help. You can clean. You can build. You can wipe. You can you, whatever. There's a million and one things you can do something. Right? You've been saved and you're like, yeah, I'm just kind of sitting around. I'm going on year 10. Don't really feel called to teach. Don't really want to serve. Don't really want to clean. It's like God said, look, every Christian is supposed to be doing something. And sometimes the reason why people as believers lose heart 
There are times where people seem to sway back and forth in their walk with the Lord and never put their hands in the plow. There's something exciting about getting involved in the war. You've been listening to a transforming word as Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Titus. This book is another letter penned by the Apostle Paul. Titus was a respected friend and fellow worker in the ministry. Paul had even traveled with Titus to the island of Crete at one point. So when Paul wrote this letter to Titus, it was meant to encourage him in the work that was going on. In a similar way as people before him, Paul counseled Titus to set up some others that could be trusted to uphold things that were true and pure about the Word and about Christianity. You see, many people were trying to corrupt the scriptures and were trying to establish false teaching. But Paul was reminding Titus of the things that really mattered and that God's Word needed to be protected. Isn't this how it is today, too? There are all kinds of fronts that come at the church and at God's Word on a daily basis. Being solidly grounded in the Word of God is where your efforts should be so that the truth can be spread. We're happy you have been a part of today's edition of A Transforming Word. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We believe that life is done better in community, and we'd love to have you be a part of ours. We're located in Inglewood, California, so if you're in the area, we'd love to see you come this Sunday at 9 or 11 in the morning. Or you can join us on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Find all the information you need at calvaryinglewood.org. Well, we'll be back in Titus next time on A Transforming Word.